Hey everyone, Gary here with episode four of the Retro Football Network podcast. Hope you're doing well. The episodes keep coming, so I hope you're enjoying them. Now, before I start today and introduce today's guest, I just want to talk about something that's a new idea and I want to get you involved. So it's called Random Retro Memories. So all I want you to do is I'm going to give you my, the email address. I just want you to email in some random retro memories and it's something that I can pick out, talk about on future podcasts as well. The funnier the better, some funny stories, anything you want, or maybe it's some forgotten memory or a favourite memory of yours. Maybe talk about football through TV, film, anything like that. Send a clip if you've got one, something that you find funny, just a random retro football memory. And just send that to retrofootballnetwork at gmail.com. Not a very original email address, but that's where you'll find me. Now, also, if you're listening today, have you subscribed? Because if you have, you won't miss an episode. It's also cool for me because it helps me out. This is episode four. There are three episodes from before with Ellis James, Ian Danter and Elton Wellesby. If you've not listened to them, please um, feel free just to go back, download them and give them a listen. I'm an independent podcast. I do all this myself. Everything is all done by me. I don't work with anybody else or platform. So by listening and supporting the podcast, you're helping me out a lot. And with that in mind, I've got something for you to give back as well, because I've teamed up with somebody called Viper Golf. You'll find Viper Golf at www.vipergolf.co.uk. And what do they do? Well, they produce golf shirts, but they've got a range with a retro football twist. So if you go on their website, you'll see that they've got polo shirts in the style of your favourite old football shirt. And they don't just do the big clubs. Yes, if you go on there, you'll see the Arsenal bruised banana from 91-92, Liverpool, Manchester United shirts. But even, they've even got, for example, some teams from the third and fourth tier. And if, if you're looking for something particular, they'll even make it for you. So they've, they'll, make it, they'll do you a bespoke shirt. So... It's quality. So what they've done is they've given me a promo code. And with that promo code, if you use that, you will get £5 off your order. So that's brilliant. The promo code is RFN5. So it's Retro Football Network. So RFN5 will get you £5 off any order from Viper Golf. I will put the link to Viper Golf and the code in the show notes so that you can go back and you can find it. But yeah. They're an independent business as well, so give them some support as well. Right, that's the housekeeping and admin for today. Let's get to the star of the show. Now, who we got today? Well, my guest had a 20-year playing career. I've got to tell you, so enthusiastic, so much energy, brilliant company. We only managed to cover half of his career because he's just so passionate when he's speaking. Well, the good news is he has a book out which I'm also going to put a link in the podcast notes. Do yourself a favour and get a copy because I'm sure after you've listened to this podcast for an hour, you're going to want more and you're going to want to know more about this guest and hear more of his stories. So it's a big Retro Football Network welcome to Gary Thompson. So big welcome to Gary Thompson. Gary, thank you very much for coming and joining me today for episode four of the Retro Football Network podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, I don't get too many shouts nowadays, so it's, uh, it's nice to come on. Well, good. Well, you're not a forgotten player, so don't worry about that. There's lots of people who've got great memories of you anyway, so we'll be able to talk about that today and share some of them with you. Um, let's talk about when you first started getting into football. And as a, as a child, did you were you just great at school how did it begin how did you start getting into football i was um well i've got, got a book out and in the book it says about my sister and my brother coming over from the west indies yeah. initially it was my mum and my dad um it's me two two other brothers so there's five of us all of a sudden uh my sister and my brother turned up there was obviously obviously difficult to start with but uh my brother glenn who's like the second oldest he was the one who started playing football in the garden and I was taking interest what's going on there. And obviously, Glyn and Ian, who's now passed, they were playing, but they wouldn't allow me to play. I'm the second youngest, so I was about six at the time. 
So I'm, I'm watching the booting this ball about. I'm fascinated. So I want to get involved in it. And uh, they wouldn't let me play. And so I did what any self-respecting six-year-old would do. I went into my mom and cried. And so uh, she insisted <laughs> that I played. So I got in the game, but I was just fascinated by it. But they, because they didn't want me there, now I look at it, they used to lean on me and they'd be a bit aggressive with me at times. But in a way, it was good because he toughened me up. Yeah. And then, not say once I became good, but I was half decent. And what we used to do, in the, especially in the summer holidays, we'd go over to the park and we'd be hanging about. And always, there's always a game of football on. Get the game of football on, like, and then uh, we start playing and we'd obviously be crap to start with. And then we'd say, like, you know, just play for... We, people always carried dandelion and burdock. You always have yeah. sandwiches, they had crisps or whatever. So we used to play for that. And we'd always win after that and walk away with half the booty. And that's how it all sort of started. <laughs> and then uh, I, I, I wanted to be a footballer. We, that, we watched, um, when we were kids, the 70 World Cup with Pelé and Brazil, and it was magnificent. My dad loves football. My dad's a massive Villa fan. And so, like, we're watching the World, the World Cup with him. And then a couple of years later, Pelé actually comes to Villa Park. My dad takes us down to watch, watch the game. And that's when I was, that's it. I'm, my dad's a Villa fan. I'm going to be a Villa fan. But right, okay. before that, I was, I was about 11. I'm decent at football. And, like, um, we play against this, uh, this, this team with Maple Miners, like, and uh, Maple School. And you go into the, um, I thought I was going to say the dorm, you go into the dressing room and like everyone's talking to each other and everyone's like, well, who's your best player? And they obviously pointed to me, like, and I'm just being coy about it, like, and they went, who's your best player? And they pointed to this kid who I swear to God, he must have been, because we was 11 then, this kid was about five foot nine. He had side burns and he had a, the makings of a tash. <laughs> we're like long blonde hair. We're like he's a ringer. You can't you can't be playing him. Anyway, we start playing a game. I know no fear. I, I'm I'm quick. I score goals. I, I, so I play against this kid, and all of a sudden, everything I try and do, he reads it. And I'm playing. I'm not setting a forward. I'm playing in that little what they call a cheating role. There's a number ten. So I, I get the ball off the midfield players. I go over the top every now and again. Get it to my feet. Do bits and bobs. These kids reading everything I'm doing. So I try and go short towards the ball and spinning behind. He reads it. Ball gets played into my feet, he reads it. So all of a sudden, like, the first time in my life, I'm now 11 years of age, that I've, I've come up against a, a problem. I'm like, well, how do I deal with this? So, as, as I've said I've said before, I go to uh, my, my default at that age, which is usually, usually violence, and uh, he beat me up. Like, So it was a it was a massive uh, shock to me. I mean, wow. after that, I was like, that's it. I ain't playing no more. Like, I, could have, I did have a temper. I ain't playing no more. This game's rubbish. Two weeks later, I'm over it, like, <laughs> I go to I go from uh, junior school to secondary school. I go in and uh, there's there's a lad called Kevin Jones who came with me from my my school. We're the only two. We don't know anybody. Kevin Jones is there for about two days and he's like, uh, I don't like it. I'm late. I'm going to move. So I'm left all on my own. But I only went there because it was a sporting school. Bob Latchford played there and the Latchford, the Latchford brothers was there. Like and the Stewart brothers, they ran there. So it's a sporting school. So I'm thinking I'm going there. All my all my brothers went to Wheeler's Lane. So I go there. And I see this kid, like, you're that kid I played against. And he goes, oh, yeah, you're the, you're the little nipper that tried to have a go at me, like. And we sort of bond together. That kid's name's Paul Dyson. Oh, and wow, really? <laughs> Paul, Paul Dyson is, without doubt, the best player in our school. In our year, we, we have football trials. We play this. Paul Dyson, myself, Malcolm Percival. We are the best three players, and we do everything together. We're best mates. We play loads and loads of football. And Bramwood School had, had um, a massive grounds around it and football pitches, so... We, after at lunchtime, break time, after school, we're there, we're practicing. People go about 10,000 hours. We got our hours in double quick. We go up and break into the school of an of a Saturday if there's no football on, and we play there. It was it was it was fantastic. And like Paul at the eight, I think uh I think he would be 13, 14. Commentary came and took him and he went out for trials, it all went really well. And then all of a sudden Paul gets pulled up for the England schoolboys and he we're at the assembly. They call everybody out. Oh, we've got this player, but he's going for English school. It's Paul Dyson. And me and Malcolm are sitting there going, what about us? Like, we don't get a shout at <laughs> it. And, uh, but all the, the England scouts have watched us. Commentary scouts have watched us. All the scouts were looking at Paul Dyson. No one ever bothered with us. And then um, Paul goes, he, he nearly, he got, England, it was possibles versus probables. He didn't, he didn't quite make it, but he got right to the, the last uh, knockings, as it were, last 15. And uh, it's still a massive achievement. And then oh. commentary, he went down to commentary and he, he, Played there, he did his trials, everything went really well. And just before the summer holidays, they've gone um, to Paul, you got any good mates? And he went, oh, Percy and Tomo. 
So we've been invited down for the couple of weeks, went well, did the six week holiday. Uh, the six week holiday, it was brilliant. I got up in the morning at the digs, we had breakfast, went and played football. We have to do a few jobs during the day, but it was fantastic. That was six weeks worth of, and the weekend, I didn't even go home back to Birmingham unless I had to. I mean, every now and again, my mum would be like, get back here. We're not seeing you. Otherwise, <laughs> I would have just stayed there because I love the lads. I love the banter. I love being in the uh, atmosphere, the young players. So I am now 15 years of age. Percy's walked off, by the way. He's, he's done three weeks of training. He got up. He said, I'm not doing this. I'm not being told what to do all the time. Oh, I'm like, it's a great opportunity. I said, I'm going. I'm, I'm going from here. Commentary training ground is a place called Wrighton. You just couldn't get in that. We had a minibus used to take us back and forth. He went off and walked. I don't know how he got back, but he actually got back and he ended up living in uh, Holland for a, a good while. So, and but his life worked out for his, uh, how he wanted it to. Yeah, sure. I'm, uh, on the Thursday, no, sorry, on the Tuesday, it was, um, they played a first team versus reserve game with a few, um, celebrities and Ernie Hunt because Jimmy Hill obviously knew loads of celebrities, so they'd be playing this game. It was a, a curtain raiser for the fans. So I'm sitting on the bench watching this game, like first thing playing reserves, he's got like, goal going in here, there, and, there. and like uh, Bert Edwards, the reserve manager, he loves me, like he calls me Bomber. So he's sitting there and he says, uh, Bomber, it's about 20 minutes ago. Bomber, you got a goal in you? And I'm like, because I, I couldn't run my mouth at the time. I'm like, no, the middle name's goal. Don't get me on the pitch. <laughs> so he went, well, are you warmed up? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been warmed for ages. Then get on then. So I've gone on the pitch. All of a sudden, I'm on the pitch at Highfield Road. I'm 15 years of age, and I'm pulling my pants because now, now I've got I've got back something up. Anyway, the game started. Carried on. The game started. Now it's towards the end of the. It's, it's a practice game, exhibition games, it were. But as it is, I picked the ball up, danced between two players. Well, I pushed it. And it went past two players, smashed it, went in the back of the goal. Jimmy was on the mic, and Jimmy was up in one of the boxy type things, and he's gone there. Uh, what, what a wonderful goal from one of our, our young talents, a young gun. Um, <laughs> Thompson, Thompson, young Thompson. So all of a sudden, like, was like, who's this kid like? Everyone's making a big fuss of me. On the Thursday, um, the Deeks bloke said, uh, I think they want to have a chat with you. And so the, the Bert Edwards, the assistant manager, uh, well, reserve manager as he was like, came along and he said, um, we'll have a word. He said, um, tomorrow you're going to train with the first team, but you're going to be, you might play in reserves on the Saturday. Okay. So so 15 i'll train with the first team and that and we've been in and out of the first team every now and again if they needed a body me or paul would go across but obviously they were such a high level it was yeah. you go across and you'd be like oh my god they're, they're just too good but uh then on the friday then the sheet's gone up and on the notice board the first team and the reserve side and playing aston villa and i was down as a number nine 15 years of age and that was my chance that got me into the reserves paul yeah. dyson played about two games later so we used to get permission from school to go and play in the reserves for Coventry C. It was absolutely magnificent. But it was it happened so quickly. I never had time to be nervous to think, oh, oh God, what's happening? It's only when I talk about it now, I'm like, what's a stroke of luck? But yeah, that's how it all started. And that's incredible. And like you said, you didn't have enough chance to even panic or worry no. about it. Well, I mean, that's quite common. I think a lot of managers have done that before. They throw them in at the deep end. Yeah. I don't know, an hour before kickoff and say, by the way, son, you're, you're starting or you're sub or whatever. That's right, yeah. So what what happened next then with Coventry? So you're in the reserves. How did you get into the first team? Right, I'm in the reserves and uh, everything's going. I'm, I'm, I'm learning my trade, as it were. I come up against the likes of Tommy Smith who are playing for Liverpool reserves and people like that. I stood on, <laughs> I stayed on the right wing when Tommy played because he, he was a fearsome, fearsome man. So like, I'll get through that year playing reserves, but now I know, and Paul, we know we're going to get an apprenticeship. So I'll get the offer for an apprenticeship and to be to, to be honest, like nowadays, I always say to kids, do your studying because my studies that year just fell off. My mom and dad were going mad at me all the time, but oh, I know I'm going to be a footballer. I've got a chance to play for Coventry City, so I, I kind of let it slip. I got my letter. They've asked, they've offered me a contract, sixteen pound a week, going up to uh, twenty twenty pound, whole twenty English pounds. Yeah. But I'm happy. I signed two year contract. I signed. I'm I'm made up. I live in the digs or the hostel. They like to Gary Bannister. Yeah. Uh, in there as well uh, obviously paul gets his contract he signs as well i'm just trying to think the younger pros ahead of us there was danny thomas's brother valmore and a lad called les Seely, who was oh, the yeah. loudest man in the world and like um over that then there was like obviously senior players and terry Rowe came to the club and people like that but the now below us 
coming through was like the Mark Haley, Tom English, and people like that. Peter Bodex. So all of a sudden, all what around, group, all what some, a group of players that is, eh? Yeah, some good, good players, like some some serious talent. So like the commentary was always good in, in uh, getting players. The scouting system was different class, and mm. uh, that's I, I, I started playing in the in reserves. I did my cartilage, had the operation, uh, get myself fit again from that. I break down again, and I keep. I pull my hamstring a couple of times, and oh. Gordon Mill, and he's only messing about, but well, I'd like to think he's messing about. He called me over one day. He said, Bomber, come here. So I've gone over. He says, uh, Every time I see you in the treatment room, this one I'm, pay I'm paying you to be in the treatment room. I don't, I don't understand why I'd be doing that. And I said, I keep pulling my hamstring. He said, Well, have you tried warming up before you start? I said, yeah, yeah, me and, me and Gary Bannister used to warm up. We'd run all over the place and we'd be and Paul and that. We'd be doing loads of exercise and that. I said, yeah, I do loads of stretches and I do everything like. He said, well, obviously, all I can say to you is that if you if you pull your hamstring again between now and the end of the season, then I might have to release you. Now I don't. Gordon's just scaring the life out of me, but and he actually did. I did my stretches, I got everything right. Yeah. Did got, got through that to the end of that season. Start the next season. I'm with the first team all the time, training with the first team, and everything's going really well. Then um, Ian Wallace and Mick Ferguson are the two regular strikers, and they are hot. They're, you got Terry Orris playing, Barry Powell, who's massively underrated, fantastic footballer. Uh, Bobby McDonald, they brought to the club. They brought a lad called Stevie Onsu, become a really good mate of ours, like Tommy Hutchison, the best, mostly the best player in Coventry's history. So, Coventry have a team. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think the, the first year I, jo I joined, they, I think they just missed out on European positions. I think they come eighth or something like that. They had a great season. Like Anyway, yeah. second year, Fergie gets injured. Mick Ferguson, brilliant centre forward, and taught me an awful lot. Mick Ferguson six foot four, but has size six feet. So the law of averages says we're looking at that. And I'm thinking, well, that's physically impossible. He, he, he's gonna he's gonna get hurt every now and again. Yeah. But Fergie gets injured, he does his rolls his ankle again. And like I've been scoring goals in reserves. So naturally, being the shy retiring person I am, I'm like, look, first team place is my dog. I'm not being making me debut. So I'm letting everybody know. And back in the day, there's no mobile, so you're on the phone all the time. So we used to queue up because the lads were ringing their girlfriends. I'm ringing everybody I know. My mum, my dad, I'm telling everybody, look, this is it. Game on Saturday lights. Uh, we're playing Arsenal at Highbury. So I'm thinking, Michael McDonald's playing and all that. He's going to be brilliant. So like, uh, get up there. And I'm, I'm like 12th man, as it were, like, but I'm going. And I'm thinking, well, he, he might not start me, but I'll, def I'll, get, I'll get a little squeeze. We get up to Arsenal and... Highbury is magnificent. I mean, what a beautiful ground it is. We go into the dressing rooms and the lads, a lot of them go and have a bath and then they go and warm up. So I'm sitting up in the bath for a little bit and then Tommy Hutchison and all of them are like, what are you doing in the bath? You have 20 games before you can have a bath in here. So I go out of the bath. Anyway, they all go out and warm up. So I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm, well, I'm sitting on one of the benches and like, uh, but they got underfloor eating. And it's, it's really, it's, it's really warm. So, picture the scene. I am naked. And I start sit down, sit on the floor. Like George Dalton, the physio, went, get up. I went, oh, but this is beautiful. So I lie back. I said, oh, this is actually beautiful. Like, <laughs> and uh, he goes, look, the gap, somebody, someone comes in, you're in trouble. I went, George, but just from, just let's take a moment. Let's just relax, just for a moment. And I, I know, I knew George, and we got on really well. And so, like, uh, he was laughing, but he was going, get up. Anyway, I'm lying there, the door opens, and I'm like, I got me back to the play, and I'm like, and I look at George, and George just shakes his head. And I was like, God. And so I try and turn around, whoever it is, just close the door. And George, oh, you're in trouble now. So obviously, I'll get up, get myself dressed, do everything properly. Game starts, I'm warming up for fun. I've warmed up and down, sat down, what? Warm up again, sat down. The game's going on, it's nil nil the game. We carry, we, half time, I'm limbering up as well, help with the drinks and everything. But at the second half, I think, I'm going to get on. Not to get on, like. So after 60 minutes, I'm practically in front of Gordon Mill. I'm doing these stretches. Doing <laughs> the toes, like. and, and Gordon's going, um, could, you, could you move out of the way? I want to watch the game. But like, you get to the end of the game, I don't get on. I'm absolutely gutted. So like, uh, obviously on the Sunday, I go straight, well, we get back on the Saturday night, I go straight home to Birmingham, get the train to Birmingham. And I got to face my mates and my mum and dad. And then, what happened? I don't know. He just wouldn't play me. Ridiculous. So, like, uh, I don't play. On the Monday morning, we do the training, and Tommy Hutchison and all them were brilliant. Jim Holton, they'd all be winding me up, like, I can't believe it. Yeah, I can't believe he didn't play. 
And I'm saying, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Anyway, Ron Wiley, the it's just it's just passed one to be fair, like. But uh, if I, I was out the weekend with his son and Gordon Mills' son, we had a couple of drinks and a bit of reminisce. It was lovely. So Ron Wiley calls me into the office. So he says, uh, "You've been doing really well." He says for a while. He says, "But um, I've got a question to ask you." He says, "Do you, do you, do you want to be a footballer or, or an effing clown?" Footballer, right? And he goes, well, let's bear that in mind because if there's any more messing about, he says, you won't get anywhere near the first team. Now get out of the office. I've taken out all the expletives, but that's basically the gist of the <laughs> So, like, uh, I've gone out, like, I don't think it must be him. Anyway, I don't get anywhere near the first team. Fergie's injured for about six weeks. I get nowhere near the first team. And, like, I play for the reserves, but there's no, it, 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 it looks like I've blown my chance. A few months later, Fergie gets injured again. I'm scoring goals for fun. There's me and a kid called Frank McGrellis. Frank's a Scottish lad, scores goals, great touch, great ability. In fact, he should have his career should have been better than it was. And one of us is going to go with the first team. He met the, they picked the team, and like uh, I mean, I've scored, we just finished with a shooting drill, and I've scored a couple of goals. So we've, we've gone in. I've got all my gear, and I've, they've helped put their notice board up, and I've walked along, and I've gone uh, right there. Let's have a look there. I'm going Thompson, Thompson, Thompson. Effectively, my name not there. Oh, yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. So, like, I'm absolutely devastated. They play Spurs away. And, like, I go um, I go home in the end. I'm not involved with the reserves and that. I go home. I'm absolutely gutted. They play Spurs. Keith Osgood, who we bought for 200 grand from, I think it was from Spurs. I think Keith Osgood played up front. Right. So, for every centre forward at the club, that's the slap in the face. So, on the Monday morning, I train, the lads are going, what's going on? And I'm like, yeah, I have no idea, I don't know what Gaffer's doing and that. But I've, I've not put it as politely as that. So we get to uh, lunchtime, and I'm getting me lunch, and Tommy Richardson and all them are there, and they, they go, well, come and sit over here, Tommy. I was like, no, you're right, I'll sit with my mates. I'll come and sit here. So I sat down with them, like, and they're going, we can't understand why you didn't play. I mean, you're sitting forward, you score goals. I can't believe you didn't get a chance. And I was like, yeah, yeah, joking, you know. And they they half leading me to say the gaffer doesn't know what he's doing. And I like try to do. And in the end, they're like, yeah, you got to be good too, big man. Like, and I went, yeah, to be fair, like, clueless. And then, anyway, Gordon Mills walked in and Tom Mills oh, went, Come tell us. He's here. Tell him. I've got, ah, and Gordon went, You got something to say? Office now. Gone into the office and I've become, I can't stutter normally. I was stuttering. And he's like, What are you going to say? And I was like, well, that's actually good. I was just, just chatting with the first team. And I was just saying that maybe, you know, instead of playing a centre half, a centre forward, you, you play a centre forward and give us an opportunity. So, I mean, there was a lot of stuttering, a lot of sweating, and a lot of like the bumbling, groveling. And he went, uh, well, he says, we thought about it. And then we thought, well, the idea was we want you to make your debut at home because it's better atmosphere, the home fans, and all that behind you. And we're playing Aston Villa tomorrow. So the idea was we didn't realise you picked the team. But now we're going to play it. You'll be making a debut against Aston Villa. Now get out of my office and you better be good tomorrow. So yeah. that's my debut. Maybe debut against Aston Villa. We played uh, oh, Andy Gray. Yeah, I don't know. Andy Gray, my old man come down. Andy Gray scored two goals. I think Brian Little got the other one. Bobby McDonald scored two for us. We got, we got beat 3-2, but I had a decent game. Although my very first touch in top league football, as it were, this would be now be called Premier League football. Ball's been rolled to me by Mickey Coop. I've got to get it. I've held up held the centre half off, got it, and it's rolled under my foot. Oh, and no. God. But after that, I ran around a bit, and then uh, he played, I played well, it went all right. And I knew, I thought I'd done all right, everyone made a bit of a fuss of me, but I had to catch the bus back to my digs. And I'm sitting on the bus, and I'm sitting at the front of the bus, and I, all these fans getting like, I can hear them talking about, that young Thompson, he was good. So I just sat there and just busting it a little bit. So that, that was how it made me debut. Oh, why not? Why not? I, yeah. I don't blame you. And... So obviously, he said you got such a, a a good group of young lads as well. Yeah. Mark Hately, of course, also a centre forward, yeah, as well. So, with obviously him, Wallace went to Forest, of course. Yeah. Didn't he? And you've got Mick Ferguson. Um, how how did you manage to establish yourself amongst that group then? There was well, Fergie got injured a few times, and I got a few games. So what what happened? Uh, I got in the team. I scored a few goals. 
and I was in and out. So if Fergie got injured, I was there or I'd come off the bench and because there was only one sub in them days. That's so right. I got a few games under my belt. We went away to uh, Japan end of season tour and like everything went well for me. I scored goals. It was, it was, it was magnificent. I came back with a, a, just a load of money as well, like which my brother managed to relieve from me. So like uh, it was, I was set up, the pre-season was set up for me to work hard, get myself ready, be in the first team. I started doing that. I got I got in the first team, played a few games, and then I broke my leg. Oh, so I snapped my leg in three places, and I'm like, oh, this is this is all over. Like, and like, uh, in the end, it turned out that they've uh, they put it together, and um, I didn't realise it could be career-ending injury because yeah. at the time they they used to pin it, and uh, the doctors insisted they don't pin it, and all they're going to do is push it together and have a plaster of Paris. I was in plaster of Paris for about three and a half months. I played after 11 months, but that's how I started wearing me, me no shin pads and all that. So yeah. I made me debut in it. Well, came back and played a youth team game. And uh, I was, I'd met me tie-ups on and my shin pads, but because of the break and everything, I couldn't have anything on me, on my legs. It was, oh. it, it, me, my cars felt really tight. And I, I was like, this is driving me mad. So I played for about 20 minutes and I ripped them, took them off. And then I felt free. And then after that, I, I thought, well, if I'm going to break my leg again, because it happened in training, a training session. Yeah. So I thought, we've just going to happen again. It's going to happen. So like, yeah, I, I never wore shin pads after that. Right. And as you said, with Coventry as well, they're such a good side. Yeah. Um, to the point, I mean, it obviously was a competitive league. You had teams like Ipswich came through. Yeah. Um, Villa, of course, they won the title at 81. So you got all these sides. Liverpool were dominating as well. Yeah. Did you feel West Brom had done well as well? Did you feel that Coventry were close to that or do you feel that there was just one level below where did you feel Coventry were in terms of teams like this? Um, with Tommy Hutchison and Yorith and all them and we finished as um, well we finished eight the first time the second season was probably mid-table when we were starting getting games but the likes of myself Andy Blair Paul Dyson Gary Gillespie um, yeah. Tommy English Bodak we'd all start getting more games and bit by bit I don't know when the decision was made but the decision was made the, or this young talent was going to get an opportunity. So yeah. bit by bit, the senior players left. Terry went off to uh, Tottenham Hotspur. Hutch went. Hutch and Bobby went to Man City, and yeah. like, all of a sudden, that that group got broken up. I and mean, we had a young, young side. We played uh, a team called Crystal Palace, who were I was like Crystal Palace. Like no one doesn't know. Crystal Palace were called the team of the eighties. That's right. Yeah. Like, uh, but we beat them at Hyper Road three two. Uh, but that was the day Clive Allen scored the goal when the ball goes into the net, comes out, yeah. Mick Coop plays it. We all play on. And we get away with it like but we used to watch videos of the games and ron would stop it and break everything down so we will see obviously it was was a goal in that but uh, after beating them people started calling us the team of the 80s because right. we had some young 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 players and like i say the quality we had there i mean les Sealy or jim Blythe would be in goal you're yep. talking um so i think the right back will be harry roberts lesbie and dyson would be the two center backs uh i'm sure no danny thomas was the right back and yeah. harry roberts was the left back yeah, so then Harry was a left back. Uh, Stevie Hunt was playing on on the on the wing. Bodak was on the other wing. Um, Andy Blair would be in the midfield. Jerry Daly they brought in for the bit of experience. After Jerry, they brought in Jerry Francis, and uh, myself, Haitley, Bodak, Tom English uh, were really the strike force, and they just juggled between them. But we yeah. ended up um, just avoiding relegation the first season because we could beat a team three or get battered the way it was. We were just so open at times like and you look at it now you're thinking well this is ridiculous but we played football gordon wanted us to play attractive football we were an attractive side to look at and in the end we got to the league cup semi-final and i scored uh well they call it the hat trick where i scored an own goal and two other goals we beat west ham we go to west ham for the second league we get beat in the last um the lads got a book out called 26 minutes from wembley we were 26 minutes from wembley that happens we go to wembley the likes of myself gillespie it, it it blows up for us like but gillespie i've got to say gary gillespie is possibly the best player we had they bought yeah. him from paul kirk for hundred grand and he was the most talented kid we had out of all of us i mean we were all looking at each other and thinking oh we got, we got half a chance and gordon milne when he did the forward for me book he uh, more or less said that before i broke my leg i was one one of the, he was saying like the jewel in the crown although yeah. that's how i read it when i spoke to him i said like I, I, obviously i know you were afraid my fa i was your favorite but he said no, no but gilly was the the best the best talent i would think lately yeah. developed 
Hately got better and better, but Gary Gillespie was the one. Danny Thomas ended up playing for England, to be fair. Yeah. Uh, Stevie Hunt, but Gary Gillespie, out of all of us, should possibly be the best footballer. And of course, his career blossomed when he went to Liverpool as well. That's right, he, yeah. Great thing yeah. at Liverpool. And you talked about Danny Thomas there. Danny was a player that I first saw play for Tottenham. Yeah. Very unlucky with injuries and really underrated player, I would say, probably by people who didn't know him yeah. or watch him every week or. I always thought he was a really good footballer. Very good footballer. Danny was a midfield player mm. and he played for England schoolboys as a midfield player. And I think he got a load of caps. I think he might have been really captain. Anyway, he's, he's come as the wonder boy. And his brother Valmore is, is in the reserves. Danny comes in as a young schoolboy. Valmore goes off to Hereford with Frank McGrellis. And Danny, he played midfield, but he couldn't nail anything down. And yeah. so after a bit, they were they put him to right back. And he was he had the ump. He was saying, let's run and ease me out and that. And like he said, he played right back and he played so well. He could, he knew, you know, we have some people they call him football bright. He knows how to play the game. We saw that yeah. Kenny Sanson, they said, I can't teach you. He knows the game. Danny yeah. was a bit like that. He knew when to join in, he knew when to back people up. He, he's quick. You couldn't beat him in a tackle because he's so quick. If you got past him, he'd get back at you. Uh, he could defend his far post and he was small, Danny. He, he was. I mean, Gary Neville ain't the biggest. Gary's Gary Neville, what's he about five eight, five nine, five ten? Yeah, something like. Yeah, Danny's got to be five eight, and like he weren't he weren't the biggest, but he was such a good player for us. Like, um, and he was so quick and join in and get the odd goal as well. Like, I mean, we called him the Professor because he was so clever, and he was always we go for a drink and that, and we'd all try and be men and we'd have oh, we'll have a lager shandy gov and all that, and Danny'd be like. I'll have a glass of white wine with a dash of lime, my good man. <laughs> so we'd be like, oh, look at him. But he was Danny, he was in digs with us as well at one time. He was a lovely fella, top, top bloke. And he got his move to Spurs and his wife and my girlfriend were very close and that. And uh, when I got met to Sheffield Wednesday, he came, they came on stage and all that. We, we, all, we knew each other, we got on really well. And that the challenge, was, I think it was Gavin Maguire. Yeah, right, yeah, 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 I remember that. Yeah. Horrendous challenge, like, was, yeah. kind of ruined his career. Danny became a physio. And he's busy out of the Albion for a bit. He's now working in America. Um, oh, nice. he, I mean, but Danny's, uh, he was a lovely, lovely fella. Lovely fella, yeah. good player. And uh, when any, we, we were all roughly the same age, so we could all get up to shenanigans and mess about and all that. And the one person that was always at the hub of it, but always Gordon Milne and then would be like, or Dave Sexton would be like, Oh no no no! Danny, Danny wouldn't be involved in that. <laughs> Danny got away with it. We're like, hang on a minute, baby. you. I could understand you. If Tom said English, I could understand. But no, not Danny. Danny wouldn't be involved. And he's just sitting there smiling. He got away with murder. Well, you mentioned somebody's name there as well. You mentioned Dave Sexton because, of course, yeah. Gordon Milne was at Coventry for a long time. Then Dave Sexton came in. He'd been yeah. sacked from Manchester United. I think, ironically, his first game I think was against Manchester United. Manchester yeah. United. I feel Roden. That's Coventry, right. Coventry won as well. That's right. Bogdak scores, and uh, it was a hell of a game of football. I remember Ray Wilkins shouting at the time, like, "What are you lads on?" Because we, we were just full of just full of life. But that Dave was superb coach for us. Break everyone's game down. Like what people do now when they like Pep and all them, and they they, they dissect your game and see yeah. and dig the ball on the after. He had us doing stuff like that. And like there was one day with Dave, he, he, he went he had me he had me Hately. I think a guy called uh, Carl Haywood. Clive Haywood and uh, it might have been Bodak. Got the four of us out of an afternoon, and he's gone. Uh, he had to put the ball down, four balls, space, space, right the distance line. And he says, "Right then, show me your best trick, but we don't. The ball doesn't move." So I'm like, "Well, I'll just kick it in the goal gaffer." And he was like, "No, no, dance over the ball, do a step over, and all that." So we're doing all this, and up up on the hill, there was a factory called Massey Ferguson. And all the lads was on their lunch lunch break. And so you can imagine, we're dancing over this ball without touching it, like. And after a bit, they're like, so what are you doing on Saturday? No wonder you like shit. And this went on and on and on. We got so, and we're like, gaffer, this is ridiculous. And he used to make us do that. He taught us how to do slide tackles and retrieve the ball and get back up. It, yeah. it, it was so technical, but it was so, it was so deep. Because I, I played in the 21s. I got broke my leg, came back, got called up for the 21s after that League Cup semi-final. And Dave Sexton's the manager. Terry Venables is the number two. Can you imagine them two as your coaching? Oh, yeah. So it, it went really well, like. And um, next thing, end of that season, Dave, we avoid relegation, but we got beaten in the League Cup semi final. And Gordon moves upstairs, and Dave comes in as a coach because yeah. Jimmy looks at it and says, Well, 
you've got Blair Thompson, you've got all these young kids developing. We need a, a young a coach. And yeah. Dave was a superb coach. Like he, he broke people's game down. He was pretty brilliant. And like uh, he brought Jerry Francis in, and Jerry was like his coach on the pitch, as it were. Yeah, sure. And it just worked. It worked really well. And then in the end, um, I got sold much against my my will. I didn't want to go at the time because I loved what Dave was trying to do. And I was actually having a bit of a bad spell because Arsenal were after me, Leeds were after me. Yeah. And uh, like a young kid, he went to me head a little bit and I weren't playing particularly well. And Dave was speaking to him about it. And he, Don't worry about that. That will take care of itself. Like, this is what you, your job, this is what you're doing. And he got me back on the straight and narrow, as it were. And then uh, one day I just got a phone call from Jimmy Hill said, uh, basically, the wife was pregnant. We came back, for, it was about nine o'clock, got back home. And the phone rang and I'm like, pick the phone up. Hello? And uh, Jimmy Hill, where the effing are you been? And I was like, hello, Mr. Z. I said, no, I've been out with the wife, you know, we're doing a bit of shopping and that. I said, I had a lovely Italian meal as well, like. And he said, I don't want to know all that. He said, like, listen, I've agreed a deal with West Brom. Ron Wiley, who obviously knew him from Coventry, Ron's the manager. Ron's uh, agreed to buy you. Ron wants to buy you. We've agreed a fee. You're off. Go Just get yourself to Albion in the morning. And I was like, no, you're all right. I'll stay here. I said, like, uh, the wife's pregnant. I've got three years of my contract left. I said, I'm quite happy to stay here. Anyway, lovely to talk to you. Bye. Put the phone down. Rang me back. You're going to Coventry tomorrow. Go and sp no, go to Albion tomorrow. Go and speak to them. So in the end, I said, I said well, how much are you selling me for? And he said, uh, it's nothing to do with you. Because I knew that the Leeds apparently offered 600 grand or 800 grand and Arsenal offered six, the same sort of figure and they took yeah. it down. And so I was, I was out of interest. I'm, I'm thinking, oh, well, how much? And in the end, he went, uh, I'm going to do with you. And then later on, he said, uh, well, listen, if you don't go, we're going bankrupt in six weeks because Coventry has lost a lot of money in America, Detroit Express. Right. But, yeah. I mean, I know nothing about all this. So I just put the phone down, spoke to my wife, who, who is quite clever. And she said, basically, well, let's go, go to West Brom and have a talk. See what you says. So I went to West Brom to have a chat. Ron Wiley does what Ron Wiley does best and bullied me into signing the contract. I turned it down a few times. Oh, no, that's lovely, Ron. But, you know, come show me money. So I can't, I can't really go. But in the end, long story, but they bullied me into signing the contract. I go back then to Coventry, obviously, to get me boots and uh, see the lads and everything. Everyone's gone. So I go to Dave Sexton's house. And uh, Dave had no idea that I'd gone to Coventry. No. I was going to the Albion. So when I get back and get to Dave's house, he'd heard about it just by the press that I'd agreed to sign and that. And so uh, I, we both kind of knew that Dave was then going to be sacked, would be sacked like. So that's 15 months after he joined or whatever. And yeah. uh, it was such a shame because you know, one of them conversations where I felt, I felt guilty. He yeah. felt terrible because he, he knows what's coming. I, I kind of clock what's happening. Oh my God. And I'm the catalyst for this. Anyway, Dave, I leave, I go to Albion and, um, Danny Thomas, Haightley, and all of them, their contracts are up that summer, and they all go. Mm -hmm. And remember Danny going, uh, well, he says, um, Tomo left, and that was it. We all had to go, like, so obviously I see Danny. I'm like, you wake up. I said, how is it? How is it? Because he said, well, Big Bad, he says, oh, the press was honest. He said, so, like, you know, you left. It just made sense. We all left after that, like, so. <laughs> so I, I was I was credited with commentary breaking up. Richard Key spoke to me one day. I did something, something for him. It's about a year ago and he's talking and he goes ah oh, he said a great team of commentary but you broke it up all oh, right <laughs> yeah I, said, I didn't break it i said i was sold i said i didn't have it in them days you didn't have a say in it it's not like yeah. you had agents and all that you took they sold you you <laughs> like you can see you later which happens when i left uh commentary and then when i left west brom the same thing sort of happened but such is life yeah because at west brom as well you had um you had a really good start at west brom as well didn't you yeah, well, I think really well, yeah, I ended up with sort of 38 games in 80 something, 38 goals in 80 something games, and not counting the cup goals. And that's it, was all going well. Cyril Regis to be started playing together. Cyril Regis is my hero he, as a bloke, he was fantastic as a footballer, he was brilliant. But he took me under his wing, he calmed me down. If people saw me play, and uh, people would say, God, sometimes he's calmer about what he's trying to do, and all that. Like, that's because I had the big man with me, and he was like Cadbury's rabbit. Chill, big man, relax, easy, <laughs> all the time. And I'm like, I want to tackle, make tackles and win balls. And he's like, chilled. And he'd always, he takes me, don't don't get wide. The centre half will smash you early doors. 
Yeah. Don't, don't get wind up, wind up. Don't let him wind you up. He said, just smile. He said, just get on with the game. There will be an opportunity for you to get your retribution. But like, and he showed me how to, he showed me one day, he said, uh, we're doing something. And he went, um, you know what puts them off more than anything? And I said, what's that? He says, well, the ball's coming to you and the centre half comes, just do that. He goes, and you just, you put your hand out, someone catches you that, he just knocks you off a bit. Of. So you're not hitting them, but you're holding them off. He said, like, if you just do that with your arms, I started doing stuff like that. And I'm like, he just, he taught, he taught me so many things. But he also taught me to drink and uh, all that, which um, obviously giving him a lot of credit because I was a lager shandy man. By the time I left the RB and I could drink, um, we get Gary Owen as well. I've got to say, Gary Owen was massively involved in this. But Scotch and dry, Southern Comfort, right, right, Lyman oh, Mary too. Really I, I, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I moved up a level. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it was it was a drinky culture, but um, I was always very. I wanted to train, and I love training, I love the atmosphere, I love dressing rooms. So I didn't used to go mad. So every say two months, three months, I'd have a, a drink with the lads. I mean, I'd go out with them a lot, but uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I'd have a couple of shandies. I wouldn't drink. But then bit by bit, they hoaxed me into the. Uh, becoming the drinker that i am today the thing is gary as well what happened what, albion lost both you and cyril yeah. Reeves, didn't they? yeah and then everything just went really bad for them as you said you went to sheffield wednesday and i remember 85 86 was dreadful for west bromwich albion yes. they were relegated yeah they were all, you said about um wednesday then at sheffield wednesday you were just what you had no choice you were just sold the yeah. same what happened um initially what happened um I was top scorer, so I've been top scorer at the Albion for two and a half years. I was there, yep. and I'm also with a kid called Nicky Cross, who was a wonderful footballer. Yep. So, and Crossy was quite understood. I don't the fans never appreciated how good he was, but everyone, Cyril, myself, and people who played with him, we knew what a good player he was. Thinking man's footballer, like so, I'm sitting there, me and Crossy, two of the lowest paid players at the club. So I'm like, I'm going to go see the gaffer. So he took me the two and a half years to get me courage up. Made an appointment to see him. Let to see Johnny Charles. I, now I got there first, and like Mrs. We came in the car. My Mrs. went into town to do shopping. I stopped at a newspaper shop, got a paper. I'm on the back of the paper. It said something like Arsenal for Thompson, like four hundred grand and all that. So I've got this. So I put it on the wheel. Went in to see Johnny Charles. Sat there. Charles just walked in the office, and I'm like, with a newspaper. <laughs> so he goes, uh, "You can put that down." So I put it down. He says, "What do you want?" I went, well, yeah, I've been top scorer for two and a half years. I've got to see if I can get a rise. You know, I said, like, you know, because we'll start at 50 quid, but then I'm messing about thinking we're going to get. And he says, uh, how do you fancy Switzerland? Oh, but you are. He says, uh, listen, there's a club in Switzerland. He says, uh, they've agreed a fee with the chairman. Get yourself over there. He said, uh, take the missus, take the bab, get yourself over there. And he says, um, see what they've got to say. He said, but, you know, go and have a chat with them. And I went, Gaffer, it's not the it's not the English first division. Why would I be going to Switzerland? Yeah. Get yourself over. He says, out of courtesy, we've got to talk to them. So anyway, I go down to Potter's Bar, me and the missus. To fair, they looked after us brilliant, the agents. Flew over to uh, now agents are starting to come into the game. Yeah. Flew over to uh, service. Uh so we uh, we get there, show me the ground, start throwing money at me, and and um, you can have cars, you can have flights home, you can have this, you can have that. And I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah. But I, I'm not interested. I want to get back. I want to play in England. Like, um, and for yeah. that chance, I want to play for either Villa or the Arsenal or something like that. Yeah. This conversation goes on for a bit. Then they start throwing, it worked out to something like, uh, um, bearing in mind this is 85, 86. It was like, it worked out to about 112 grand a year, tax free. Yeah. Two year contract, plus cars, plus flights out, plus this, plus that. Um, and I'm like, oh that kind of money i'm on i'm on 500 pound a week yeah. tell you what this, i might have to sign it because i'm thinking if i get this money i can buy me on my house and i can do this i can do that so i'm talking over with the missus and she's like look whatever you want to do because she says the way you are if you're not happy we're showing you football but you've got to be happy doing this and i'm like but to be fair this this sorts the family out if i do this so we look like we're going to do this and then uh, they have a big meal of an evening sitting there having a meal and uh there's a waiter and he's, he's serving, he keeps looking up. And like, my, I always used to say, West Indian women, if their sons do not contact them every two days, they will find their son. So oh, I, okay. I'm looking, I'm thinking like, she's got me, isn't So he comes over, he says, Mr. Thompson's vocal. So I go over, pick the phone up, I'm like, you caught me then. 
and it was it wasn't my mum it was sid lucas the albion chairman so i take all the expletives out but basically he said uh i, I found out he said the money's been put up by fiorentina you're going to Servette for a year, then you're going up to Italy because I think they could only have two players at the time, two priorities. Oh, uh, yeah, the or something. Yeah. yeah. So he said, uh, uh, So that's the player. Yeah, I'm not having it. So he says, uh, So I'll ask them for another 50 grand. So I'm like, You are? I said, Well, you can do that if you've agreed to fee. You can't. He said, oh, no, he says, oh, I know what I'm doing, so I'll sort it out. See you later. Bye. Put the phone down. I mean, I did offer to pay the 50 grand out of my own pocket. Of course, he would never have seen a penny of that. But. Ooh. I made the offer. Anyway, I went back to sit down at the table. Mitch's knows something's up. We go to our, our room after, and she asked me what's going on. I tell her, I said, listen, I, I don't know what's going to happen there. We come down for breakfast in the morning. They really look after us, lovely breakfast. And they sit down and say, listen, there's been a hitch in the deal, but we will sort it. We want to get it done. We want to get you back. But you have to, you've got to fly back to um, England, like. So I go back to England, and I'm thinking now, this, this, is, this is off. So we go back. Get back to, uh, to um, my house, just outside of Coventry, rugby I lived in. So, like, uh, next day, I'm thinking, well, I've got to go training. Pre-season underway, I've got to do some training. So I drive to the training ground. When I get there, I've realised, I think I heard on the radio or whatever, but they signed Crooks and Varadi. Now, both of them are very, very good footballers. Like, yeah, of course, yeah. So, like, uh, but both of them play better off a big man, in my opinion. So yeah. I'm thinking, well, all right, and I can see what they, why they've done it, but they they agreed to sell me for half a million quid. They bought Crooks and Riley for half a million quid. And so it's a balance of someone's going to have to go. Johnny Charles, good as gold with me. And like, uh, I think I played, I did some preseason training. I did, uh, I played one game, half game at Peterborough with Garth Crooks. And then after that, they just said, basically, um, you can talk to Sheffield Wednesday, QPR, Arsenal. Arsenal dropped out of the bidding at three. 350 or something like that and i was left with chelsea uh qpr and sheffield wednesday yeah. anyway uh chelsea came to at the albion sid sid let sid, uh, sid uh, ken bates he came down uh i walked into the boardroom he's basically told me chairman to get out so me and the missus are sitting there like and we're like who is this fella because ken bates he's, he's a little bit brash really so he, he's chatting away and he said right now get yourself down to london blah 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 you'll love it and all that like he said uh, i said okay mr bates and what are you offering me like and he said oh, well everyone signs a contract at chelsea he said but if you do well in the first few, few months we'll rip it up and all i'm thinking oh, i've got a bab I'm, yeah. I'm married, like i kind of need to know what we've got if i'm going to move that to london so i'm trying to explain to him and he's like, oh don't worry about that you're a chelsea i'll sort it all out so we let him carry on waffling a lot, finished the conversation, both walked out of the room, looked at each other. <laughs> she was like, what do you think? I went, there's no way we're going there. No so like, next day, I go to Sheffield Wednesday, drive up to Sheffield Wednesday. And as you come towards Sheffield, I think it's the A48 or whatever, as you turn, you can see all the chimneys blowing out smoke. So I look at it, I pull over, and the missus, I've crashed my other car, by the way, so we're driving the wife's MG Metro like, So I'm like, if you think we're staying here, you're mad. We go back. We go back. Birmingham. Get there, and he's uh, Howard was Sexton, which was a manager. Um, Benables was the, the coach, as it was. Howard was the other coach. Yeah. So yeah. I kind of knew Howard as well, but he never said an awful lot there. Yeah. Every Wednesday, he'd done ever so well. He's done promotion and all that. So we go and meet Howard. Very um, blunt, gruff man, like, but art's in the right place. So in a way. His missus takes my missus away straight away and they go shopping and all this and, oh, and they go looking at houses and all that game. Sheffield Wednesday, to be fair to him, offered me a, a very, very good contract. So all this is going on and the agents who did the deals to serve it, they come and say, well, you've, offered, you, you've, you've agreed to work with us for six months. And I said, I didn't. I said, yeah, yeah, the paper you signed to do, go to serve it, it's, it's still valid for six months, so we could, we've got to do the deal. So I'm like, oh, okay. So they, they end up yeah, doing a deal. They're sitting there and they're, they're talking and money's flying the, the money i'm sitting there and i'm, I'm like i got very short attention span so like i'm getting bored all of a sudden i'm like me lad because my missus left me lad with me my kids are about three now i'll say not four and like i'm like we're supposed to be boy so i get up i'm walking out of here little kid, little kid, kid like and uh so i said he's out on the pitch he always carried a ball with him yeah so i go out onto the pitch howard walkinson is showing my son he's pre ravinelli to score a goal at Hillsborough, the cop, and uh, celebrate. So I've done it there, watching this, for about 50 yards away. I'm like, 
with all this going on, he's got time to take my boy away and do that. I said, he'll do for me. Oh, so, yeah. I, so I signed for Sheffield Wednesday. Three days later, I'm running around Uden Valley and I'm like, yeah, maybe it wasn't the, the, the greatest of moves. But to be fair, that year at Sheffield Wednesday, I never scored a lot of goals. Yeah. Um, I played with Lee Chapman, who became yeah. one of my best mates. But the squad we had with Mel Sterling and Gary Shelton, Gary Megson, Paul Hart, who became one of my best mates. And Martin Hodge was a keeper. Um, Brian Marwood. Yeah, Mark Marwood was there. Mark, he bought, they bought me, and about a week later, they bought Mark Chamberlain, and he yeah. became one of my best mates as well. Uh, we had a great squad, and I think we finished third or fourth in the league, but we couldn't play into Europe because of high school. Yeah. Uh, that's right, yeah. So, uh, and that, we've, we've ended up in the FA Cup semi-final, but we've had a great season, but I've not scored any uh, you know, goals. I've got like six or eight goals. So I, I'm not happy with the way I played well, but I've not scored goals. So, for me, I've got to prove yourself like so. I've always felt like a bit of failure. Then uh, we play Aston Villa, second last game of the season or whatever. And Ron Wiley is now the coach at um, Aston Villa, and Aston Villa are having a shocking time. And like we play the game, and as the game finishes, you go to the fans and give them a clap. Like it's the last yeah. one at bro. And so like I'm just about to walk up the tunnel. Ron's hovering, and he goes, uh, "Summer." So I said, "Right." He says, uh, "Will you come to Villa?" And I went. Well, in normal situation, yeah, like a shot. I said, but obviously I've come here the first year. It's not come particularly well. Ronald, that will do for me. So, and then as we walk around the corner, Howard Walkins is at the top of the dugout. And he went, you, get up here. And I was like, he's, he's my old coach. And they're like, oh, I know what's going on. Anyway, got in the dressing room. He's giving me a dressing down and that. And like, I'm going, no, we were just saying hello and all that. Like, So we've ended up that summer, um, Maradona did his thing in the World Cup. Howard didn't. Um, it was in Mexico, wasn't it? Yeah. Howard was in Mexico, and like he rings me. So it's one one morning, blunt Yorkshire. I pick the phone up. Hello. Now then, he says, "Aston uh, Villa have made an offer for you." He says, um, well, yeah, "Didn't tell me the fee, but, but he said they've made an offer, which potentially, you know, we could be amenable to." Now I. I I, much as I love Aston Villa, much as I always wanted to play for Aston Villa, and they tried to sign me a couple of times, it never worked out. Howard Wilkins says to me at that minute, it's not been a brilliant season, but we've got something going here. If you stay, we can work this out. We can, we can you know, yeah. we'll, we'll get you scoring more goals. If he'd have said anything like that, then I think I'd, I'd have been very tempted. I probably would have tried to stay. Because I, my feeling at Sheffield Wednesday, I, I, I sort of let the fans down. I didn't score enough goals. I, shouldn't, I wasn't the centre forward that they, they wanted. I mean, sure. that, we had we had Chappie as well, and we both played together. And I had a sulk the first time because I'm the centre forward, and also he's the centre forward. So then I ended up just chasing it out, out wide and that. And I'm like, I'm the centre forward, but I got over that. And we did we did really well and become really good mates, me and Chappie. Like, but if I would have said, listen, next season we'll give it a right go, I would I would have stayed. Oh, I like to think I would have stayed. But he went, uh, well, he says they made an offer. He says you can stay or you can go. It's up to you. So I went down to Villa, uh, had a chat with Doug Ellis, and um, I should have clocked it then. Being a fan, but not taking enough interest in the team for the last couple of years, I've been so busy doing my stuff. Like yeah. Villa, Villa have broken up the the European Cup side, and yeah. they were the Super Cup, the title, the, 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 the European Cup, the Super Cup, and the league title. All of a sudden, that, that team's more or less broken up, and they got That's a bunch right. of kids. And I don't even look at this because I just have some fellow like Tony, you know, I just greet the sign. Doug sits in and says, Listen, I'll give you basically the equivalent of 38 and a half quid and a, a box of fags. And I'm like, Yeah, all right. So I greet the sign for Aston Villa and like, uh, Oh, sorry, he gave me a car as well. And mine says, yeah. And like, uh, I greet the sign for Aston Villa. And it's only once I started training. And I look around and I'm like, Oh my word. But we had Paul Elliott, Andy Gray was yeah. there for his second sign, but Andy was playing off one leg. But Simon Stainrod, so we had we had some good quality in areas, but we yeah. it's a young side that was never was always going to struggle, and um, it was possibly it, at that time wasn't the right move. I should I shouldn't have, shouldn't have done. I shouldn't. I felt like I always felt I like I ran away from Sheffield Wednesday, as it were. Like the circumstances, yeah. you can make excuses, but in the end, I, I I left and I should have stayed. But I went to the Villa, ended up having a niggly groin injury after about about two months. Fairly scoring, but a bit like they kept getting me playing and playing. In the end, I've had an injury that basically I sat down on the pitch. I think it was Man City we played, and Andy Gray was having to go at me. I'm like, I can't move. And he's ended up getting me up, and they got me off the pitch. And then uh, I was out for about 11 months. They couldn't work out what was wrong with me. 
and I had loads of physios. They took me to, to a fellow who was going to go to technically Germany. So I see this, this fella, David Norton, had the same sort of injury. They said it was a pelvic strain. And the guy sits there and he said, uh, I went to London to see this guy in the street. He says, oh, I said, have a look at your body. He says, what, what, um, what we need to do? He says, um, we'll take a bit of bone up your shin and we'll put it in between your pelvis. Use it. Keep it all together. And I'm sitting there like, I'm going, oh, so, yeah. You know, it gets me back playing and all that. I walk out of the room and I say to the physio, no way am I going anywhere near a geezer. You get me fit. But there's no, no way I'm not having all that done. Anyway, the, the physio gets back in the end. Um, Aaron Taylor walks in. Graham Taylor gives me, we have our first three meetings are absolutely horrendous. Obviously, me and Graham Taylor are going to get on. It's always fun. And then uh, the physio comes in, Jim Walker. And Jim Walker is the one that basically saves my career, works out. Wow. What's wrong with me? It takes me to a guy in uh, Sheffield called Paddy Armour. Paddy Armour, Chesterfield, sorry. Paddy Armour, I walk in and he goes, uh, take your clothes off. And I'm it's a bit sudden, isn't it? You know, we might just get all that. No smile, nothing. So I take my clothes off and he's prodding me. But his fingers are like sausages. Anyway, he prods me in my groin. And I, I, like when I, Jim was driving us back, I still had a tear in my eye. But he's he, he got a, washed his hands and went, right, no, it's a problem. Gilmore's groin, they call it. So I was one of the first to have that double hernia thing. Right, okay. And once they did it, six weeks later, I was fit. And that, but Bill had off, dug it off of me 20 grand to retire. Um, basically, they bought me for 400 grand or whatever. And right, so pay you off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he called me in and basically said, we're not a wealthy club, Gary. And, you know, sometimes are hard. We've been relegated. And yeah. um, basically, it's your fault. So uh, the least you can do now is take the 20,000 and, you know, and go back your way. And I'm like, what am I going to do that? So basically, that's what happened to Villa. And ironically, you talked about, obviously, Graham Taylor came in because, would it been Graham Turner who signed you or was it Billy McNeil? Yeah. Uh, Graham, Graham Turner signed me. But in that meeting with Doug and Ron, Ron Wiley, I'm, where's the gaffer? And they were like, don't worry about that. And then straight away, I should have thought, hang on a sec. Yeah. They've signed me without, hello, love, without um, the manager being there, which is never a good sign. And like yeah. we did uh, we did six weeks or six games, I think it was. We played Nottingham Forest and we got absolutely battered 6-0. And I've never been on the, the end of one of them. We got beat 6-0. I walked into the dressing room and uh, Graham Turner said to me and David Norton, you two sit over there. And so we sat and think, what's all this about? And he turned to the others and he went, you lot are just tossed me my job. And he's, he lambasted them for about 20 minutes. Right. And to be fair, it, was, it weren't right because we were all part of it. Yeah. But he, he, got, he got the sack that night or whatever. And then um, Billy McNeil came in. Yeah. And when I used to talk to people, I'd say that Billy McNeil, and I'd just say he was a terrible manager um, and I didn't, I didn't rate him, blah, blah, blah. But... As I've got older, I've realised that Billy McNeil had just got the sack at Man City. Yeah. And then came straight to Villa. So this is the, what they call, they call him the Lion of Vienna or whatever. And that, that's not enough, enough to have said it. But they call Billy McNeil. He was a Lisbon Lion. Lisbon Lion, that's it. So we got a guy that's won the European Cup, one of the first yeah. people who do it, won titles at Souls, he knows how to win games. And I just think he was shell-shocked from getting sacked at Man City, going straight, in, like most managers would take a a break or get themselves away he's gone straight to villa so people used to say oh he's man he's relegated two clubs in um in a season yeah and while people think it's funny you think well if you're billy mcneil and you've done all that that people rubbish your name now so i used to say yeah, yeah i don't think he was that good in that but the more i think about it the more i look at it billy mcneil was a victim of circumstance i was told or we were told at one time that doug used to want to know the team and then Billy McNeil, they weren't speaking towards the end. So Billy McNeil, I was injured like that. Billy McNeil was putting the team through his, 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 his in his office store like, and apparently, uh, <laughs> but it is his version back. And this was going back between the two of them. So obviously Billy was going to leave. Billy left as well. And then uh, I think Frank Upton took the team for the last two or three games. Then um, we're sitting there, pre-season it would be, and uh, the, the uh, we're sitting there and there's a car comes in, big Bentley's dog's there. Car comes in like and the dog comes in like cat little cream. And we're all sitting there, we've had our lunch and that. 
let me introduce you to the new manager Aston Villa. Mr. Graham Taylor. Mr. Taylor. Graham Taylor walks in. Now then, he says, "Thank you, Mr. Ellis. You can leave leave us now." He says, "These are mine now." So I'm me and Gary Shaw, uh, Stevie Yance. We're all Villa fans, so we're like, "Oh, fireworks!" He's going to start nailing people, pitting people, and you know, all of a sudden, Graham Taylor's reputation. He didn't stand any rubbish. So we're sitting there, and he goes round like Paul Elliott. The Rigo and he starts hammering them and said, Do you give your best for Aston Villa? How come you've got a contract lined up to go to Chelsea? Elliot, blah, blah, blah. So he sort of rubbishes after them because basically, what we've been saying all the time is we felt that after them had already dug their escape tunnel, if you know. Oh, what I mean. Okay, yeah. And he's clocked after them. Like, so me, me, Gary Shaw, and Stevie are sitting in the back, like, butley, chuckling, like, oh, he's letting them have it. Like, anyway, he goes, like, he doesn't even look at me. And he went, And you? He says, you run around me, you sock around your ankles, you get more bookings and goals. He says, now you're injured, don't know if you're going to play again. He says, no, you're no good to man or beast. What, what are you to me? Get out. He hasn't looked at me. And I went, hey, yeah, yeah, good job for life. And he went, no, get out. So I'm, I'm sort of thrown out. So I've left the room, like, but I'm sitting in my car. Bunty and them come out and we start laughing. I'm like, this fella's going to blow this thing up now. This He's going to really make this thing work. Yeah. And he'll get rid of any people that don't care about it or they, Graham Taylor, you give it your all, he's all right. You don't, you know, yeah. So yeah. we're like, about time, we're going to, yeah, they say get your club back. We're going to, we got a chance. Anyway, the next day, I go into training, driving to training, and uh, I look and Warren Aspinall is coming towards the car. So I, I get, I know something's up the foot. So I get out of the car and I'll say to Warren, like, because we used to call him Thornby because of his teeth and that. And we, I said, Thorms, how you doing? You're right. And he just walked past me. He went, good luck. Got in the car. So you picture the scene. The dressing rooms are right in front of me, but the pitches are there. So I've thought, right, make me wait to the pitches. Start picking up bits of grass and checking the temperature of the wind. I'm injured, by the way, so it don't really matter. But I'm just checking the temperature of the wind. And, uh, and the wind's blowing that way. And I'm, so I'm getting myself around the back of them. So as I, I spun around, sneak round the back of him. I just get my hand on the door and he goes, can I ask you a question? And I was like, uh, yeah. He said, where'd you live? Like, That's his pole. Which was five minutes away. He said, describe your house. Like, five bedrooms, sauna, bar, got the foundations dug out for a swimming pool, third of an acre, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, what do you think your neighbours think here in the morning? Oh, they probably think there's Tomo going to work. And he went, no. They think, look at that scruffy. And I'll take the experience of that. And I'm like, I said, you are. I mean, hang on a minute. I said, I mean, I was dressed. I had a leather jacket. I had a white T-shirt. I had blue jeans. No socks, obviously. And uh, beautiful white trainers. And he went, see, this stuff costs a lot. And, you know, you talk to me about dressing that. And he went, you dress like that. You see, you look like the Black Fonz. Get yourself up. Get yourself home and get you. You come into work, you're wearing slacks and a shirt, or you're wearing a tracksuit because you're coming to your place of work. You're not coming like that. Now get out. And I'm like, okay, got your gaffer from tomorrow. No. So I go home, change, got home, and the wife killed herself laughing. She's saying, oh, he's going to, he's going to really got a top of you lot. Made us wash her, clean her own boots, wash her own kit and all that, our training kit and that. And he changed the whole thing. Like, I mean, the, the fellow was, was dynamite. The third meeting, he had a meeting with everybody at the club. And the, the reasons why things had got to the situation they got to. And obviously, I know we probably run out of time. So I'll just let you know this one. So he's gone, uh, but he's, he's got to me and he's uh, sat down. And he says, Right, he says, Well, what, what can you say? What do you think's happened? And I said, well, to be fair, I got injured quite early on, but they kept persuading me to play. I've kept playing. Obviously, I've done more damage. No one knows what's wrong with me. The chairman's just offered me 20 grand to retire. But I think the medical staff are a joke. Blah, blah, blah. So I'm, you know, I'm just basically benching my spleen. So he said, yeah, he says, um, you know, we can all blame people. He says, sometimes we've got to look at ourselves as well. You know, what have you actually brought to the table and that? So we've gone through the full, the full conversation. And it's a decent conversation. Like. And then he says, uh, your brother, Keith, he says he plays, uh, he's played for Graham for England Youth. He said, your brother, he's lovely kid. He said, uh, all left foot, good ability, great in the dressing room with the lads as well. He's good atmosphere, you know, he's a leader. He keeps people going. He's, he's a proper kid, like, everybody likes him. He says, uh, I've heard you you can be a bit, you know, a bit of a noise and, you know, a bit of a leader, but there's always a worry you could lead people the wrong way. And I'm like, 
yeah, but Dylan's my club. And he says, yeah, he says, yeah, I can hear that. And I says, uh, now he says, get back to your brother. He said, what's a lovely kid? He said, fantastic. He's a really good lad. He says, like, you know, he's got his funny mixed with people. You, on the other hand, that was the last words he said. Oh. I'm waiting for him to say something. After about 20 seconds, I went, okay, the, the conversation's ended now, like, and he just started shuffling papers. I was like, all oh, right. So I got out and I said to Steve, on, if I wasn't injured, he'd have sold me as well. Like, but yeah. to be fair to him, he got rid of, I think, Stainrod left and uh, Elliot, obviously, and um, Drigo had moves lined up. Yeah. Steve Young had to retire. But basically, he cleared the decks, brought some honest, hardworking players in to, and was, got us back into enjoying our football. He kept saying, you loved your football when you're seven years of age. You'd run around, you clean your own boots, and he said, we'll get back to that. And he did. And he got Villa back up, of course, and then in the end they came second, the runners up, and that's right. Took, took the England job, so yeah. Mm. So he he did well for Villa at that yeah. time as well. Yeah, yeah. Gary, it's been absolutely brilliant. I, I feel like there's loads more that you could tell us. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. There's like yeah, I've got loads of stories that like I just don't have a lot of loads of time. But, I know. Just before yeah. before you go, one thing I'd like you to do is just mention to everybody about your book because. Right. If people want some more gary thompson which i'm sure they will have to listen to you for the last hour you've got to tell them about your book yeah the book's called don't believe a word um it's written by i say written by bill howell bill howell listens to me at the warblings of a, a plump black man and he turned it into something really nice i mean it's it's uh, i didn't want to write a book they drove me mad to write a book I told them loads of stories they put together something that is really really i mean i'm, I'm still getting people say on twitter how much they enjoy it it yeah. is it is a i mean i think it's, it's i'm proud of it i think it's a, a great it's a good book i enjoyed i enjoyed it being done i enjoyed people saying how much they enjoyed it and like yeah. uh yes yeah, a story about how many times one man can mess up but it's quite amusing in parts and yeah. quite bad in parts as well right well uh make sure make sure that everybody who's listening they um have a look for that then and snap it because somebody recommended it to me yesterday as well yeah so. it's you don't believe a word you get it from Curtis sports because um they didn't want to go through the big uh what the biggest uh companies and that so you get it off Curtis sport off the internet um but uh, it'll be delivered to your, your door and also it will be personally signed by moi so ah, you've got, you got right. more than that <laughs> exactly gary absolutely brilliant thanks again no for doing this and no. take care all right take care lovely thanks for having me well, I hope that was as entertaining for you as it was for me. Gary Thompson, what a brilliant guest. As I said before, he got so much passion, energy and enthusiasm. I loved it. It was infectious for me. As Gary mentioned in the podcast and I mentioned at the start, don't forget he's got his own book. The link is in the show notes. So give Gary some support and get ordering that book. And also don't forget... Click on subscribe, download the other episodes if you haven't, support an independent podcast and also support Viper Sports and use that promo code RFN5. Right, that's all for today. Thanks very much for listening. I'll see you next time. And yeah, ta for now. Bye.